Luke chapter 11. Sorry for that little interruption there. It was good to sing hymns and psalms this morning to the Lord. Psalm 31, He knoweth my soul in adversities. Amazing. When one ponders just a few words of God can bring so much comfort to those who know Christ. The subject of which we've been looking at since last week is of the utmost importance. And though every subject of God <clears throat> intimidates me when I seek to preach upon it, and I've said this before as well, and I never get tired of saying it, the subject of prayer intimidates me more than anything. Because as the Word of God declares, because of our infirmities, we know not what we ought to pray for as we ought. And you consider that, that we need the Holy Spirit's intercession to help our infirmities. And when the disciples humbly beseech the Lord to teach them to pray, who am I to stand here before God's people and try to teach or preach on such a vast subject as that of prayer? And yet, I trust in God's grace that He will lead us all to hear the words of Christ and be led by His Spirit and not by the words of men. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass that as He was praying in a certain place, when He ceased, one of His disciples said unto Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught His disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Teach us to pray. As Jews, they had learned from men how to pray before men. And like the Pharisees, to pray to themselves. Prayer was not an unfamiliar subject to the disciples. Yet to converse with the living God in prayer was a matter which they realized as they heard and observed Christ praying that they knew absolutely nothing about. They knew how to pray before men, but how to pray before God. Even as believers, regardless of how old or how much we've learned of Christ or the Word of God, we have that same humble, contrite heart when it comes to pray. How to converse with God. It's a humbling thought. So the disciples that they might learn to pray in such a manner, would turn to Christ that He might teach them to pray. Later, after His ascension, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the believers in Rome, 
would declare even further the great difficulty of our praying without divine assistance because of our infirmities. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Amazing words here. Which cannot be uttered by mortal man. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This explains why Martin Luther would himself declare concerning all true prayer, he said, and I quote, that it is a tremendously hard thing to pray aright. Yea, it is verily the science of all sciences, even to pray so that the heart may approach unto God with all gracious confidence and say, Our Father, which art in heaven. End of quote. Why then do so many people today act as though praying is something man can of himself do? How often have I, and I'm sure you too, how often have we heard people in speaking about others' desires and needs and pains express, so I will pray for you, as though prayer is something easy for man himself to do. And yet you wonder if it's so difficult to pray, why do God's children desire to pray? The great difficulties of our praying aright due to our infirmities, dearly beloved, does not dissuade or even discourage the true believer from praying. It's a humble realization. It's a humble acknowledgement. But it does not dissuade or discourage us from praying. But because of the promise of the Spirit helping our infirmities and interceding on our behalf according to the will of God, we are greatly inspired and excited to be praying always. Something this world has no comprehension of. If it's such a difficult thing, and if it's hard to pray to God, why do you desire and why are you so excited about praying? Not unlike Paul's glorying in his infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon him, 2 Corinthians 12.9 Beloved, I believe so too in prayer. We glory in our infirmities that the Spirit of God might make intercession on our behalf. Our infirmities do not dissuade or discourage us, but excite us to seek the Spirit of God's help that our prayers might be in accordance to the will of God. Humility mixed with confidence and faith in God. Prayer is of itself, true prayer, 
is of itself the most humble disposition any man or woman could have before God. And so though we know and acknowledge our infirmities, we trust and believe in the Spirit's aid to intercede on our behalf that our prayers might be in accordance to the will of God. What a wonderful blessing that is. How else could we as finite beings ever hope that any word of ours coming from our finite lips could ever reach the eternal God? Ever be pleasing in the sight of an all-knowing, all-wise, eternal God without the aid of the Spirit? But oh, to believe and understand that the Holy Spirit carries our prayer requests before the throne of God and makes them acceptable according to His will through Jesus Christ excites us to pray. It's a paradox the unbeliever knows nothing of. For he prays for himself. And not for the honor and glory of God. We know... Dearly beloved, we know the struggles of our infirmities when we pray. Did you hear the psalmist in Psalm 31? The struggles of his own infirmities and weaknesses, and yet his faith and confidence in God who sustains and keeps him. We cannot pray without great humility. And yet we cannot pray without great boldness in Christ either. It's a combination which only the true believer comprehends and understands. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 again. Listen to me as we begin this morning. And it came to pass that he, as he was praying in a certain place, now watch this, when he ceased, they patiently waited for him to cease, to stop. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. And, beloved, it's important that we understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to impress upon our hearts here in this text. When he ceased... Right when he got finished praying and conversing with the Father, the disciple comes up and says, Lord, teach us to pray. And the first words out of our Lord's mouth after ceasing to pray himself says, Pray ye our Father, which art in heaven. Now think about that. The first impressions of Christ as he ceases praying to the Father. The disciple comes up and asks him to teach him to pray. And why the impressions of his own praying with the Father is fresh upon his mind, burning with inside of his heart. He said, this is what you say. Pray ye our Father which art in heaven. Amazing. What's the first impressions you and I have when we pray and we know that God has heard our prayer? What is the sensation? What is that which most impresses us when we cease from praying? The delightfulness that God has heard my prayer. We're filled, so to say, with the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. 
And our hearts are overflowing with excitement and joy because we've been in the presence of God. And that's the same thing it was with Christ. He had just ceased. He had just stopped praying in the presence of the Father. And the disciple asked Him to teach us to pray and why those first impressions are still fresh on His heart and mind. He says, Pray ye our Father which art in heaven. Though Christ was not subject to the weak and carnal sensations of the flesh, like man, yet Hebrew said, His being made like Nanda, His brethren, in both affections and feelings, it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren. In what? Affections and feelings. Christ at this moment was still man as much as He was God. And the Holy Spirit of God purposely says, and when He had ceased. Oh, it wasn't the disciple alone that brought up this question. It was the divine providence of God working behind the disciples' hearts and minds to request Christ to teach them to pray at this moment when He ceased. Not that Christ could have not taught them if He wasn't praying before, but oh, the Holy Spirit would have us understand when He ceased. Can you imagine the enjoyment the Son of God had when He ceased, when He left the presence of the Father in prayer? Proverbs said the Son was His daily delight. Having just ceased from conversing with the Father in prayer, the impressions, dearly beloved, of that holy conversation still fresh upon His heart and mind, He begins with these glorious words, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, let me remind you of something so that you might <laughs> understand this blessing a little bit more. Do you remember Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai after talking to God? Do you remember the Bible says his face shone when he came down from Mount Sinai after talking with God, the Bible says? And that's so brightly that the Israelites were afraid to come nigh to him, the Bible says. They did not want to come nigh to Moses, a mortal man, because his face shone so brightly from talking to God. But here is the literal Son of God, who has just had convergent conversation with the Father, fellowship and prayer with the Father, and it doesn't drive the disciples away, but it draws them near. I want to learn how to pray. Think about that for a moment. There's no fear like that in Moses' face or the shining of the fear of the Israelites, but there is a desire to draw near. You see, that's what Christ does, is it not? Is that not the work of Christ? He draws us near to the Father. You would think after the Son of God spent time with the Father in prayer, talking to Him, His face would do more than shine like Moses. Mm -hmm. Yet after Christ, listen to me, the Son of God, who is alone the brightness of God's glory and the express image of His person, Hebrews, speaks to the Father, there's no fear, but a drawing nigh, that He might teach us to pray to the same Father. Do you see what access we have through Christ to the Father? Amazing when you compare that. The law could not provide such an access. 
He could only provide fear in the hearts of the children of Israel as the mortal face of Moses shone with the glory of God. And yet, when Christ, the Son of God, prays, it draws his disciples to him that they might pray like him. What an access we have to the Father through Christ. Our Father, which art in heaven. Beloved, both of these are inseparably united. And they cannot be divided. Listen to me closely. So that the Lord, through his word, might teach us all to pray. Listen closely. These words, our Father, which art in heaven, cannot be divided, but they are so wonderfully united for a purpose. For the true believer, God is not only our Father, but our God who is in heaven. That combination has to be held in mind. Always conscious when we enter into the presence of God. He is our Father, but also our God who is in heaven. We dare not imagine Him a Father without deity. Nor a God without a fatherly compassion. Otherwise, all our prayers will fail. For either either He will be too far and too high, or He'll be unconcerned not being a father. They have to be both. Let us not pray to a father without deity or a God without a fatherly compassion. They both must be together in our petitions. An acknowledgement and awareness of that. He's our father, loving, caring, protective, as a father is. But he's in heaven. He's supreme. He's sovereign, far above all principalities and powers. And here with this glorious and divine truth must all our prayers begin. They are inseparable. Our Father which art in heaven. Look in John chapter 17. We'll see our Lord's own example of this again. John chapter 17. In verse 1, the beginning of His praying. Look at this. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, our Father which art in heaven, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son. The Pharisee, the Lord said, prayed with himself. His prayers were only in regard to what he wanted for his glory, for his applause, his selfish desires, and his selfish wants. He prayed to himself. Yet, beloved, all true prayer by the aid of the Holy Spirit willingly, lovingly seeks first and foremost God's glory. Listen to me. And that is a loving, caring, protecting Father that reigns supremely in heaven. They're united. Again, like I said, if you pray merely to Him as a God in heaven, 
you're going to think that he's too far, he's too big, he's not interested, he doesn't care, he's God. You pray of him just merely as Father, then you take away the ability that he can do all things he wants. But when you pray with both in mind, he's not only God in heaven, the supreme sovereign God in heaven, he's also my Father, which means he cares for me, he loves me and protects me, and his sovereignty proves he can do all things for me. You see how the beginning of this prayer lifts us immediately up into the heavens above any problems we have? Christians are downcast by their problems because they're concentrated on their problems. The worldly things are weighing their hearts and affections down. Christ says, no, lift them up to heaven. To your Father who cares for you, who is your God who can do all things for you. Rise above the earthly passions. Rise above the earthly corruptions. Rise above the light afflictions which are but a moment and set your affections on things above when you pray. Begin there. Don't begin on earth. Begin in heaven. Begin in heaven. Look at Colossians. Chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Again, let the language of Scripture teach us to pray. Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set firmly, set your affections, or your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You see the difference? If you're risen with Christ, where He's sitting on the right hand of the Father or God, then set your affections on there, not on things of the earth. Let me tell you something. We need to be taught that by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. It's hard for us sometimes to rise above those feelings that are so near to us. Those, those affections, those fears, those torments which are in our bosom. It's hard for us as God's children sometimes to rise above that. And yet Christ would say, set your affections on things above. We have great need that Christ teach us to pray. Even throughout the Psalms, you can read of the psalmist often struggling with that sin of unbelief. Why art thou cast down my soul? I shall yet see God. Oh, beloved, I do not wish to imply that there's never a struggle to rise above our own feelings and affections. Sometimes they weigh us down very heavily, and sometimes we feel we can't rise above anywhere. Why do you think... It says he makes intercessions with groanings. Sometimes, dearly beloved, our prayers are merely but groanings because we know not how or what we ought to pray for as we should and we just merely thank God he knows the secret intents of our hearts. Lord, help me to rise my affections above the things of the earth. Help me to set them on things above. Help me to see my Father which art in heaven.
the setting of our affections on things above are not our own carnal desires and affections, but a setting of our mind and our, our affections on our Father, which is in heaven. Look in John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. John chapter 16. <clears throat> Listen to this. Listen closely. Because he says, our Father. Listen closely, John sixteen twenty-five. Christ speaking here, he said, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. Watch this. At that day ye shall ask in my name. You'll ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. <laughs> I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. We've mentioned this a few weeks ago. He said, you're going to ask in my name, and by that, you're going to enter into the presence of the Almighty living God by yourself. And you're going to approach my Father, and you're going to say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, beloved, there's nobody in this room, if we put all our finite minds together, we'd never grasp the true meaning of that. But try, if we may, that we would enter into the presence of the Almighty Creator, the Almighty God that spoke everything into His existence, and we enter into His presence in such a prayer, realizing that He's the Supreme God, and yet at the same time, He's my loving Father who loves me. Dearly beloved, this is how we must begin every prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, For the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me and have believed. <laughs> what a blessing that is. What do you think that immediately after he ceased praying and the disciple asked him, that was the first impression on his heart? I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know this is the only time our Lord uses the word our Father? He says later on, go tell them I go to our God, my God and your God, and uh, you know my Father and your Father. But this is the only time he says our Father, our Father. He uses our Father. Why? Well, hopefully because we all understand no one can come unto the Father but by him. Our Father. When we pray, he says, you're not the only one going into the presence of God. He says, I'm with you. He's our Father. Just as I got finished conversing with the Father, He's your Father. He's our Father. Oh, there's so much comfort in those two words. Our Father. For through Him, Ephesians 2.18 says, Christ, for through Him we both have access by the Spirit unto the Father. Unto the Father. We speak much of Christ when we pray, and we should. We pray in Christ's name, as we should. We know that's because of Christ we have access. That's true. But I think in a, in a lot of ways we forget the presence of the Father and the love the Father has for us because of Christ. 
Christ would have us in this prayer to not forget he's our Father. When is the last time you or I have entered into prayer with a realization that I'm entering into the presence of my Father, who is the supreme God? Why then do we fear? Why then do we toil? When we enter into the presence of our Father, which is in heaven, everything in this temporal world will seem as nothing in the light of eternity. What are my trials and what are my afflictions? in the light of God's presence and eternity. Our Father which art in heaven, how these opening words set the mind and the heart in their proper and God-glorifying perspective. For they greatly reverence God and His infinite grace, mercy, and love while greatly humbling the true child of God. Like I said, no true prayer can be done in pride. There's a verse in Isaiah that the Lord brought to my attention last week. It's been going over and over in my mind. And it goes something like this. It goes, let us take root downward that we might bear fruit upward. And I thought, does that not depict the Christian life? To bear fruit upward, we have to bear, we have to bring fruit, uh, root, bring our root downward. Downward. Humility to fruit. Bring your root downward that we might bring forth fruit upward. And that's how God desires it to be. For he whose heaven is his throne, the Bible says, and the earth his footstool, says, looks to that man who is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at his word. He looks to that man who is poor and of contrite spirit and trembleth at his word. Beloved, these first words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, divine instructions on prayer are pivotal for his following instructions concerning prayer. If we miss this first sentence in his instructions on how to pray, everything else will crumble. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily. All those things shall crumble if we're not built on this very first foundational, pivotal truth. Our Father, which art in heaven. Until there exists a childlike faith in his being, our Father. And listen to me. I'll try to wind this thing down here, this first sentence. Until there exists a childlike faith in his being our Father, loving, caring, protecting, and a humble reverence for his supreme sovereignty, which art in heaven, beloved, all of our prayers will be built on sand and will crumble at the very first stormy trial. They will crumble. For either we will not believe he careth for us as a loving father, 
or that he is not capable of sovereignly guiding and leading us through every trial and affliction. He'll be a father without deity and a God without a fatherly compassion. The Bible says in Psalm 78 that Israelites in the wilderness limited God. Now we know that no man can limit God. He's sovereign. But in their minds, in their own minds, they limited God. They believed in their minds God could not do what he promised to do or that he didn't care enough for them to take care of them. Be not of those of the Israelites in limiting God. He's your father. He will always care and protect for you, protect you. But he's also God and he's able to perform all things for you. For the Lord, the psalmist said in Psalm 138.8, for the Lord, two verses I've always loved, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. That's fatherly love. The Lord, Psalm 138.8, for the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. He'll perfect that. And Psalm 57.2 says, I will cry unto the God most high, there it is, Father in heaven, unto God that performeth all things for me. There's the sovereignty. He can do it all. Can God take away your trial and your affliction? Most certainly. Can God heal your broken heart? Most certainly. Does God care about your trials? He most certainly does. In all our afflictions, He is afflicted. Too often we forget this divine balance. There's a few passages of Scripture this last week the Lord led on my heart and made me really think and pray. Preached on the parable of the sower many times and read it many times, but this week it just, the Lord brought it out and the good ground brought forth 104th, 64th, 34th. You know, we not all bring forth the same fruit, but we all bring forth fruit for in Christ. The 30% is not envious over the 100%. They're all happy for the fact that they simply get to bear fruit and bring forth. But some Christians bear 100%, some 60, some 30. doesn't make them any less than the other. It's just divine truth. Something to do with this as well. Another one was in Psalm 51, the penitent psalm. I believe a lot of Christians really don't believe the depth of David's penitence. Do you know how he repented of his sins? And it got me to thinking that so many times we believed Christ to forgive us our sins on Calvary and grant us eternal life. The Father laid all our sins upon him, but when we sin or fail as Christians, we have problems believing that he can purge those same sins. And he can. Do you know why? Because he's our Father who's in heaven. Look at Psalms and I'll close with Psalms 121. Psalm 121. 
Oh, that we might learn to pray. Psalm 121. I'm going to read all these verses because they're so good. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. There's this lifting up the eyes again. My health cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Sovereignty. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. There's the fatherly. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That is my Father, which art in heaven. <laughs> from there we can go, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come uh, on earth as it is in heaven. There's where we begin. Our Father, which art in heaven. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for neglecting such a <clears throat> blessed privilege. If we would but pray, always, we would not find ourselves fainting. <clears throat> and Lord, even when we do pray, and we find oftentimes it hard to pray, our heart and our affections feel so weighed down by this world and the cares of this world. Help us, we pray, Holy Spirit of God, with groanings and utterings that we might pray in an acceptable way before the Father. Lord, we thank you that you've given us such an access unto the Father. We ask now, Lord, that you would help us <coughs> through this week to meditate upon what we've heard. And Father, help us this week, we pray, to always pray. You know how our flesh often grows weary and tired. We find many excuses not to pray. I pray that, Lord, you'd help us as the psalmist who prayed evening, morning, and at noon. Lord, help us, Lord, to pray always and in every place. For, Lord, there's no nearer approach to God in this present life than when we pray. Help us to long for that as Christ did when he walked amongst men. Lord, we close with this simple petition, one which your children have asked for centuries now and will continue to do so. Men have written books, sincere men, holy men, godly men, on prayer. Some of them very educational, some of them very informative, yet, Lord, even they cannot teach us to pray. <coughs> for the infirmities of which the scriptures teach engulf all mankind. Help us, Lord God, with this one petition that your children have been asking for centuries. Teach us to pray. For we ask these things in the name of Christ and for his glory alone. Amen. <clears throat>